Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. As the kids return to their seat, if you would turn in your Bible with me to Mark chapter 10. This morning we're looking at Mark chapter 10 verses 35 through 45. Mark 10 verses 35 through 45. This is what we read in these verses. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know what those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Most gracious Father, as we consider your word this morning, and this call of the Christian life, this call of the gospel that is focused on the cross, I ask that you would illumine our hearts and minds that we could understand, and that you would fill my mouth with words of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That as I preach in the power of your spirit, we all together might be strengthened in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. He wasn't the first guy to talk about it, but a lot of people attribute to Martin Luther this idea of these contrasting theologies, a theology of glory and a theology of the cross. The theology of glory is is man-centered. It it asks questions like, what's in it for me? What's required of me to satisfy God? And it yields all kinds of speculations about both God and ourselves in order to balance the equation. The theology of the cross, on the other hand, is Christ-centered. And all of life is interpreted through the cross of Jesus Christ. So, as I just told the kids, we we come to know who and how God is, not by all of these vain speculations into the mysteries and unrevealed realities of, of the nature of God, but we come to understand and know who God is by looking at the cross. And by being reminded that that he is the saving God. He is the redeeming God. He is the God who is utterly full of justice and grace. And he has brought that to be in Jesus Christ. We we see this theology laid out in 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2 where we read this. 
For the word of cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discerning of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And he continues on laying out the the reality that that in the weakness of the cross, in the weakness of of, of Jesus going or, or coming to earth as a baby and growing as a man and dying on the cross, in that he exhibited the greatest power. And and so we, in the weakness of identifying with this crucified Savior, in finding our life in the cross of Christ, in that weakness, we are strengthened. So if that's where that theology is, is kind of set out in Scripture, there in 1 Corinthians 1, in the passage that we're looking at this morning, we have a picture of what these contrasting theologies look like in real life. As we read this story about James and John and then the disciples showing us exactly what it looks like to be a theologian of glory. Because that's what's happening, isn't it? It, We we jump into this story. It's important, again, that, that we keep things in mind here, that we keep the context all together. What has Jesus just done? He's just looked at his disciples and and they've been through these experiences that reminded them that you come to the cross with nothing in your hand. You come to me with nothing to offer. That's the only way you can come. And then he tells them, in fact, that's how I'm living. Not to gain anything in this world, but to give up everything. And he says, guys, I'm going to Jerusalem and there I'll I'll be betrayed There I'll be condemned falsely to die. There I'll be mocked. I'll be spit on. I'll be beaten. And ultimately I'll be crucified and killed. And on the third day I will rise. And there's a predictable response from the disciples. And it's to utterly miss the importance of what Jesus just said. To utterly miss the importance of the cross, but instead to immediately turn and try to figure out where's our glory in this. I say this is a predictable response because back at the first time in Mark when we read of Jesus foretelling his death, what happened? In Mark chapter 8, verse 31, we read that that Peter... We love Peter. He pulls Jesus to the side and rebuked him. That's not how this works, man. You're you're supposed to bring the kingdom and power and glory. And, And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Then the second time in chapter 9, when Jesus foretells his death, what's the next thing that happens? He he foretells his death. This is what's going. They're walking on the road. Remember, this is when Jesus says, hey, what were y'all talking about? And they're like, oh, nothing. Don't worry about it. Why? Because they were arguing about who's the greatest. The third time, he foretells his death. They're continuing on their journey. 
And James and John come up and begin this way. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now you know, you know something good is coming after that. If you're you're a parent, I realize not everybody is, I'm not trying to exclude anybody, but if you're a parent and a kid comes and says, hey, dad, will you do something for me? You know very quickly the answer to that question isn't yes. (laughs) The answer to that question is, what is it? What is it that you need me to do for you? Because who knows what's coming next? So you know something good is coming here. And and can you even imagine? And and we're we're all going to say no, but in reality, we should all say yes. Can you even imagine the the kind of moxie to, to like walk up to Jesus and be like, I want you to do for me whatever I ask of you. (laughs) Who do you think you are? It's it's this theology of glory that they're after. And, And then it comes out what it is that they want. Verse 37, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. What? Are you serious? Just so we're all clear, they've got this idea in their head, and this part is right, that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and somehow, someway, he's going to be sitting on the big throne. He's going to be exalted. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be incredible. They're right about that. They're wrong about how he gets there, but they're right about ultimately where this goes. And what's their request? We want the two next best seats in the entire kingdom. We want to be sitting on your right and left side. As you sit there on that glorious throne, we want to be the ones that are sitting up there with you. They were in it for glory. That's what they wanted. We've got to be clear. This wasn't about them, oh, I just want to be near my Savior. No, 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 no. Don't give them that much credit. And if you think this way, don't give yourself that much credit. This was about them being theologians of glory, wanting to know what's in it for them. What's in it? For them, they're pining for glory. They're self-confident in their ability to handle it. And then we read on. Later, we find out after Jesus talks to them a little bit, it says that the, the other disciples heard this and they began to be indignant at James and John. And he's saying, oh, okay, they get it. They realize how foolish James and John were being. And they're like, come on, guys, get it together. No, that's not what's going on. They saw them angling for the glory that they also wanted. We know that because of how Jesus responds to him. He doesn't say, it's okay, guys, I've got this. He calls them to himself and gives them a whole separate lesson 
about what it looks like to live as a theologian of the cross. They were mad. They were indignant out of a place of self-righteousness. They were seeking authority and glory for themselves also. And what they saw, they looked up and were like, oh, wait a minute. James and John are getting there first. What? What? And, and they're mad at them. See, the reality is this theology of glory that asks what's in it for me and, and what do I need to do to get to the place of glory? What do I need to do to satisfy? This theology of glory is completely natural to you and I. It's completely natural to us. We also pine for glory, don't we? We, we want it. We, we, we know that there is glory coming. We know that, that, that everything will be made right. We know that we will live in the eternal blessing of God Almighty forever. But we want it now. Right now. We want it now. And we want to be assured of it in the future. But we want to be assured of it in the future, not by looking at the cross, but by looking at the blessings of our lives, by looking at the glory with which we presently live. Like the disciples, we're, we're self-confident. He said, you don't know what you ask. You, 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 can you drink the cup? Can you be baptized? And they're like, yes. Yes, we can. We're self-confident like them in our willingness to follow Christ, in our ability to walk in his way. We're self-confident in what we think we deserve. Because we too are theologians of glory when left to our own devices. We're self-righteously indignant with, with each other even. We, we look at other Christians and we're like, can you believe how ridiculous their theology is? And you're like, what, what are you talking Did they deny the gospel? Did they deny that Jesus was the Savior? No, it's this random point over here that's like eight layers down in the theology book. Can you believe how ridiculous they are about that? As if we're so utterly confident in our theology, and I get it, we all have our angle, we all are have our conviction. but so often they're expressed not in humility, but in self-righteous indignation. Why? If, if we're honest, it's usually because we feel threatened by them and what they're getting. And we start to wonder if my theology of glory is just right. And the answer is, it's not. Because it's a theology of glory. We're also self-righteously indignant at non-believers. Can you believe, fill in the blank, can you believe what the LGBTQ plus community is up to? Can you believe their agenda? Yes. Yes, I can. Because I'm a sinner too. And I'm, I'm fixed on my glory too. 
And I may be fixed on it in a different way. I get that. But if I can't admit that I understand a sinner sinning, even in fantastic ways, then I don't get the depth of my own sin. It's not that we need to be silent about the reality of sin. No, be be clear about what the Bible says. But not from this position of self-righteous indignation. But from the position of having our eyes fixed on the cross. We're also always constantly, like the disciples were, as theologians of glory, seeking authority. We want to put James and John, whoever metaphorically that may be, back in line. We want the authority. We've bought into this idea that somehow, through, through earthly authority and power and influence, that somehow, by gaining those things, Christians and the church will be strengthened. We won't. We won't. No earthly authority, no earthly power, no earthly influence, no earthly reputation, nothing of this world can strengthen the church. It can't. The church in America isn't stronger because we have the freedom to assemble. Because that's not what the strength of the church depends on. It depends on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And if anything needs to be added to that, and don't get me wrong, I am grateful that cops aren't going to walk in and arrest me for preaching the gospel. I love that reality, okay? Love it. Scared to death that someday God might call me to be a missionary somewhere where that's not the reality. I love it. It's just not why the church is strong. The church is strong because Jesus lived, died, and rose again. And we are founded upon him and what he has done for us. So we can give up seeking all of the world as if it somehow strengthens the church. We can give up being theologians of glory and follow our Savior and being a theologian of the cross. For there is our strength. And, and, and this is the contrast that we see with Jesus and his disciples. He is the, the, the embodiment, obviously, perfectly, of a theology of the cross. It's what he was all about. It's why he came. And he knew it was why he came. It's where he was going. And it's new. He knew it's where he was going. And we see it picked up in this story. They they ask, give us whatever we want. And and Jesus responds to them, what do you want me to do for you? Over and over and over, as we read Jesus' responses to his disciples, it's not like we would respond in that situation. Why? Because he's not a theologian of glory. He's a theologian of the cross. There's a profound patience with Jesus. 
We can all admit that if we had been walking with the same 12 dudes and three times now we had said, hey, I'm on my way to Jerusalem to die and rise again for the salvation of the world. And every time their response was to rebuke us, to argue about who was the greatest, and then to ask for the best seats in the house, we can admit that our patience would have run completely out at this point. And we would be done with them. Because we're theologians of glory. We're not theologians of the cross. But Jesus is. And he's patient. He, he, he doesn't respond with, with strong words. I mean, he's clear, right? But, but he's not like, you idiots. What is your problem? Why don't you get this? Are you really this dense? Do I have to spell it out for you? Oh, wait, I already have. That's not how he responds at all. At any point in these conversations. What do you want me to do for you? They make this insane request. And he teaches them. You don't know what you're asking. I'm, I'm going to die is basically what he's saying again. The, the, the language about can you drink the cup, can you be baptized? With, he's basically saying, I'm going to suffer and die. Can, like that, he, he's saying, that's the way to glory. Can you do that? And, and then he reminds him, hey, and, and by the way, I can't even give that to you. Because that's already been prepared for someone. It's not mine to give. He's just emptying himself of glory. We, we want your glory. Okay, well, guess what? My glory is my death. My glory is my submitting to the Father's will. Not handing out prizes for my friends. My glory isn't about what I can get for me. It's about the cross. Can you go there with me? And they, yeah, we can. Now, now we know from the rest of the story that they don't fully get it. But again, instead of Jesus being like, oh my word, are you serious? You don't even understand what I'm talking about. He just simply says, you will drink this and you will be baptized this way. In other words, you'll be brought through the cross as well. And that's how you'll be strengthened. That's how you'll be saved. That's how you'll gain glory. Is yes, in fact, by following me to and through the cross. That's what this is about. but I can't, I can't give you what you're asking. It's not mine to give. The, then after the, the, the rest of them, the other 10 are arguing and mad at James and, and, and they're kind of angling for their own stuff. He calls them in and, and says this stuff about authority that we'll get to in just a second. But then he says, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. Remember what we said last week about this title that Jesus, it's his favorite title to take on himself, Son of Man, that it goes back to Daniel 7, 13 and the verses that follow that, that that give this picture of one like a Son of Man who's given all the kingdoms of the earth. He's given dominion over everything, this eternal kingdom, this, this Davidic covenant kind of kingdom, right? If anyone was to be served, it's this one. It's the one that sits at the top of everything. If anyone can say, yes, bow down to me, serve me, it's this one, the Son of Man. So do you hear the weight of what he's saying? The Son of Man, the one who will be given dominion over everything, the one who has all authority, the one whose kingdom will have no end and will never be threatened for all eternity. That king, that monarch, came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. That's a theology of the cross. Jesus recognizing the way my kingdom comes is through my suffering and death. And I am absolutely here for that. That's why he can say to the disciples, Look, the Gentiles, the, the world, they want authority to lord it over them. They're, they're great ones, exercise authority. But it shall not be so among you. Why? Because that's this theology of glory. This what's in it for me. This, this what do I do? And look what I've done to satisfy God. And he says, it will not be that way among you. If that's how we're living, and it is, read the blogs, read the social media feeds of, of, of Christian Twittersphere, whatever it's called. That's what we're doing. We're lording whatever random, trivial piece of theological knowledge we've come up with over everyone. Jesus says, that's not the way. That's not the way. But to serve, like I'm doing. And, and the theology of the cross gives real freedom to do that. Because if we're honest, what is it that keeps us from doing that? What is it that keeps us from laying our life down? in this way. Now I get, I get, we're not going to be the ransom for anyone. Okay. Yes. Jesus did the gospel. We don't do the gospel. Jesus lived the gospel. We don't live the gospel. He accomplished that. But if the way of the Christian is also through the cross, what is it that keeps us from serving each other in this way? And, and I think it's exactly what kept the disciples. 
At root, we're theologians of glory. At root, we're, we're, we want to be one of two things. We either, we either are, are looking at people and, and, and refusing to serve, refusing to put off ourselves for the sake of others because we don't think they're worth it. That's one option that we don't like to admit is a lively option for us. Or we're, we're, we're doing it because we want to be the Savior. We want to be the one that fixed them. We want to be the one that they say, oh, you should go talk to so-and-so. They helped me so much. It's not that it's wrong if you help. Like, yes, do great. But being a theologian of the cross gives us real freedom because it means I don't have to be your savior. I can step in and I can serve you and I can care for you and I can care about you and I can exalt you and I can encourage you and I can give to you. But there's only one savior and it's not me. And that is freedom to actually be able to care for people. Because all of a sudden, the way I care for you, the way you care for me, isn't by stepping into my life and fixing everything for me. We can't bear that weight. But by stepping into each other's lives and saying, there's the cross. There's the one who did. I don't know how to fix what you're dealing with in your life. But here's Jesus. We get to serve each other. Not by being each other's saviors. But by taking each other by the hand and walking to Jesus together. Because he is our savior. That's what it means. That's the freedom that we have when we embrace this theology of the cross. The other thing it does is it gives us the freedom to get over ourselves and serve people that our flesh says isn't worth serving. Because like I told the kids, what the cross means is that I'm a sinner. That I need to be saved. That I've made a complete bungle of everything in my life. Just like this person I'm sitting in judgment over. And so I look at the cross and I say, oh, that was for me. I needed that. And I can go to this person who also needs it. Because I'm no different than they are. I didn't get here by any way other than the cross. And when I look at the cross, what it tells me is that God is full of love for sinners. Like me. And like this person. And so who am I to refuse to extend that love? That's freedom. Because all of a sudden, it's not me or you trying to fix each other or anybody else. It's me and you saying, there is a Savior. 
he's patient with sinners. And he went to the cross to suffer and die for us. And so we have this picture here of what it looks like to be a theologian of glory with with James and John and the rest of the disciples. Constantly clamoring for themselves. And another picture of what it looks like to be a theologian of, of the cross. And that's what we're to follow. And that is where there is true freedom. Because you're not pointing anyone to yourself any longer. But to Jesus and his cross. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for this picture of these contrasting ways to live. And we confess, Father, that that we are like James and John and the Twelve and all the rest of your disciples. We are so prone to clamor and pine for our glory and and to respond in in self-righteous indignation at the sin of others and and, and to to be so self-confident. And we confess, Father, it's because our eyes have not been set on the cross. And so we ask that, that by your spirit, you would set our eyes on the cross. That we might come to the end of ourselves. That we might be truly free, no longer to try to be the savior of people. But to be who you've made us to be. The beloved of our heavenly father. Would you teach us to live as theologians of the cross? We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of scripture and theology.